0: Funding for The Spark is provided by Capital Blue Cross, focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like Capital Blue Cross Connect Health and Wellness Centers, which provide in-person services and inspire healthy living. Learn more at CapitalBlueCross.com. The Spark is also supported by UPMC, providing primary and advanced specialty care throughout all of Central Pennsylvania and beyond. A list of providers in the area can be found at UPMC.com findadoc.
1: Most of us have experienced at least one trauma in our lives. Fewer people, but still a large segment of the population, maybe up to a third, have lived through multiple traumas in their lifetimes. Trauma is defined as an emotional response to a terrible event but there are several layers to that definition. Our guest on The Spark today has written a new book about trauma. It's called Making Sense of What Hasn't Made Sense. Dr. Ramona Palmario roberts is the executive director at Karen Outpatient Treatment Center and former supervisor for trauma services for Karen's main residential campus in Warnersville. Dr. Roberts, thank you for being on the program today.
0: Thanks for having me, Scott. It's a pleasure.
1: So let's start with the title of the book making sense out of what hasn't made sense what does that title mean
0: well when i first started working on the book it really came from the clients and the patients that i was working with because they would come out of sessions and often our group therapy sessions and they would say things like oh my gosh this makes sense It was just the common thread being heard that this makes sense. Um, So I wanted it to be broken down for people into something that was easily digestible, a quick read, um, something that lay people can wrap their heads around uh, without having to like dive in and read a lot of technical jargon or go through a lot of research, maybe in a time of crisis for them where they need to like get this information quick. They need to understand this right now and make some sense of it.
1: So when you say that many of these people came out of their session saying, oh, now that makes sense, they weren't pointing back to the trauma or they didn't think that the trauma had impacted them. But then once they were in the group session and talked about it, realized that some of the issues that they had came back to that trauma.
0: Absolutely. Um, In fact, it was one story in particular that i actually included in the book and um called it kind of a hulk rage event and there was um a woman who was talking about how she just lost it uh lost control of herself completely just started spewing this vitriol and became kind of explosive for something that seemed so trivial which was that her partner put the butter back in the wrong spot in the refrigerator and learning how some things can trigger us. Um, for this one in particular, it, we were able to, with time, walk it back to a place where her voice didn't matter, at least to her. It felt her voice and saying no to her perpetrator didn't matter when she you know, was expressing um, herself. And so as an adult, Um, She started to become very particular about where things got put, order, organization. This gave her some semblance of control. And so this moment of not listening to her organization of where things should go tapped into this place of my voice didn't matter. And when we were able to uncover that, um, it was kind of this aha moment. Oh, my gosh, I'm not crazy. That's, I think, really my biggest aim for this book is for the trauma survivor themselves and then for all of the family and friends that don't understand, like, what the heck's wrong with you? Why are you acting like this? For them to be able to make sense of it now so that both parties aren't thinking, like, I I must be crazy.
1: Hmm. Is there a better definition of just what trauma is than the one that I just quickly described?
0: There's a lot of variety out there with the definitions. I think they all land very similarly to what you, um, what you already stated, Scott. I think um, it overwhelms our ability to cope. Um, oftentimes, people look at it as something that can be a normal reaction to something that's abnormal, right? Um, I think sometimes with our name, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, that can really pathologize, pathologize it almost in opposition to what we're trying to do, which is help people understand they're not crazy. They're not, you know, kind of all these other labels they might give for themselves. Um, But we have that language, obviously, because that helps us, you know, our classification of disorders helps us in terms of funding and things like that. Um, But it's, it's, for for some people, it is it is very, very an it, it's that abnormal event that creates what happens in their body and in their brain, um, and it makes sense and it seems normal when you're able to take this lens, this this conceptualization lens of trauma, and you're looking at the situation, you're like, oh, that's why you're reacting that way.
1: Everyone is different, obviously, but what impact? can trauma have on a person let's start with uh, their brain first And, and i don't want to get into and i do want to ask about this a little bit later because in the book you talk about the actual effects on the brain but i'm talking about mentally what kind of symptoms or what how does a person who has been impacted by trauma present in a mental way
0: So as you said, right, it's very individualized. But if we can talk about some some common presentation, um, it alters their mood and their cognition. And when I say that, that's just how they think, how they think about themselves, how they think about other people, how they think about the world, always being prepped for danger, always being prepped for someone to wrong them, always being prepped for something to be pointed out that they are less than. Um, It could be um, uh, that in their mood, it could be a depressed mood, some hopelessness, some helplessness, um, a lot of fear and anxiety. Um, it can be arousal symptoms where someone's easily startled. Um, maybe they have trouble sleeping. It could be trouble sleeping because they have vivid recall happening at night. It could be nightmares. Um, they could be experiencing flashbacks. Um, I think flashbacks is kind of the the common word that is um, thrown around. But people can have intrusive recall that isn't necessarily a flashback. A flashback is really feeling like you're reliving the moment again. But intrusive recall is. It's just kind of like firing, uh, you know, one image after another, um, a sense, um, uh, a word, a thought that replays. There's this rumination. Uh, so and then there's a lot of avoidance that takes place. Some people can avoid relationships. Some people can be very appeasing in relationships because they don't want to make waves and they're walking on eggshells. Um, we see this impacting relationships. Um all around. Um, And then it becomes a reciprocal thing. You know, um, maybe I'm so afraid of abandonment that I'm going to push you away to get in front of it. Right. And you might have a very healthy relationship, but unfortunately, because your radar is always firing for potential threat and danger, you might push yourself away from things that are actually good and healthy for you.
1: You write in the book that relationships, that that's one area where trauma can have an impact the most, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm.
0: Yes, I think um, we, especially if we're dealing with trauma that happens early on in life, what we might call developmental trauma. But it's not to say that, you know, someone who experiences trauma at the first, uh, for the first time at the age of 30, it doesn't impact a relationship. It can. Um, but we do find this more so ingrained in those early childhood experiences. Um, and I think there's a lot of people that don't even know how it's showing up in their relationship. They don't even recognize it. Um, and I think, uh, especially if the abuse was from a caregiver, a loved one, a family member, um, that, it starts to distort what we expect is normal in relationships, right? I mean, I could say, let's say I grew up in a very chaotic household. There was all this fighting and arguing. And, you know, I find myself in a very healthy relationship one day in the future. Well, maybe I've gone through several relationships that kind of mirrored my upbringing. And then I find myself in this really great, positive relationship. But wait, this doesn't feel normal. Right. What feels normal is chaotic and and, you know, people calling me names. And um, so this doesn't feel right. Um, So what is unfamiliar can be really scary, even if it's the thing that's healthy. I
1: want to clarify something. You use the word abuse and. For most people, when they hear of trauma, they think of maybe sexual abuse or some physical kind of abuse or uh, death in a family or a rape, some kind of really huge event. But for some people, trauma can just be an ongoing thing. It can be verbal abuse. It can be how you were treated by your parents or by other people, your living condition. That's kind of what you just described, right? Right.
0: Yes. Actually, I'm really glad you asked that, Scott, because I think more people will actually um, connect trauma with like military situations. I've had clients to say, well, but I've never been to war. (laughs) And that's not the only thing that's trauma. And then underneath that, I think the next uh, assumption is, like you said, you know, sexual abuse or physical abuse. But we have trauma. And that's why I tried in the book to give kind of a multiple choice, right, of all these different things that could be showing up in someone's life. Because I don't want someone to come into a therapy session and think, well, i I don't have trauma cause I don't have that. And they almost shortchange the potential for growth and healing that they can have in front of them. So uh, trauma, I even like to sometimes just take that word out of it because with that word, some people have a stigma around it of being weak. If you, um, have experienced trauma or you have trauma symptoms that it's weak and, um, you know, I'm not strong enough. It says something about me. So sometimes I, I like to use the word significant life events. Um, For that, we could be thinking about huge impacts from things like uh, the traumatic loss of one's identity. Let's say they, you know, they had a profession for years or they were an athlete for years and all of a sudden they get injured and they've lost that, right? That can be a real impact for them. Or, um, you know, I think loss is often shortchanged and that can definitely come under the umbrella of trauma. Loss to maybe a spouse that has a medical condition, they're still living and they're still living in your home, but they're not the same person that you married or to a child that might have an addiction or a mental health issue. I think even if we talk about something like racism and it's a more insidious example where maybe you never had a hate crime, but you experienced continuous and insidious discrimination or you've been a a target of some racial attacks like that might not in that person's mind be this. I'm coming into treatment because I need to work on this one trauma event that I've had. Right. Mm. So it can really be a myriad uh, of things.
1: Dr. Roberts, in the book, you describe what happens in the brain when someone has gone through trauma. Now, without getting too much in detail or too technical, what does happen in the brain?
0: Well, I think the easiest thing for our listeners right here on the show, because they can go grab it in the book later, is that it really throws the, the thinking and the rational part of your brain, your frontal lobe, what we call offline um and there is this dorsal it's called a dorsolateral prefrontal cortex it's a little part in there that is our timekeeper and so for these individuals that have some of the symptoms we've already talked about flashbacks and things like that um, when they're triggered into an experience it's because that timekeeper is actually saying then is now Um, and I don't know when it's going to end instead of saying like then is then, this is different, this is now, we're not in danger. Um, And our prefrontal lobe really is that what we call executive function. It's where the boardroom sits that has a staff meeting that decides what to do with the information and how we should respond and it gives us rational thought. Um, That goes out the window and we just work from our limbic system which is responding. Um, And that's where for that woman's example with the the whole Rage event, she was coming out of that system. She wasn't able to think, hmm, in this moment, what is my partner saying to me? No, she just reacted.
1: Are there other things that could uh, bring back uh, the, I don't want to say bring back those traumatic memories, but what kind of uh, triggers these events? Like, I think of sense of smell. Uh, Hmm. maybe music or just seeing something that you're saying, okay, this looks familiar, this is scary, I don't know why. I mean, are there things, are there there triggers out there?
0: Absolutely. And actually, the list is probably uh, too long. I don't even know if you could have an end to the list. But you said sense of smell. That's our most primitive sense. Absolutely. Think about when you smell a cologne or a perfume on someone and immediately you might think about your mother or, you know, an ex uh, fiance you had, right? Um, smells absolutely are powerful. Um, it could be a noise. It could be the height of somebody, someone wearing glasses. It could be someone invading your personal space it could be driving around a certain location that an event happens. So they can be physical reminders that can be triggers. They can be internal um, reminders that can be triggers. So um, the list, you know, can go on and on. Um, And I think that we just, you know, we need to help people get in tune with what they are so that then they know how to respond when that's happening. But oftentimes when that trigger happens, we go on autopilot. And again, that's where the frontal lobe shuts down and says, oh, wait, sense of smell. This is that cologne from that person. Bam, I'm reacting.
1: So when your brain reacts and it's so strong, how do you treat that? I mean, this does not seem like the kind of thing that, uh, okay, we take a pill and we're much better. It seems like uh, it's it's a long drawn out process that it takes some work.
0: Yeah, it takes it takes some work, and I try not to use terms like "it takes a lot of heavy work and deep work," and we're going to dive in because that scares people away. Well, I don't want to go do that heavy work, right? Um, And each person's experience is different, uh, but but there's a combination. There's a variety of treatments that are out there. Um, I think for our listeners that may need this, you know, look up trauma providers in your area. But there's a variety of modalities that we use. Some work we do is we call top-down, which is working on the cognitive part, which is working on the things you say to yourself. So again, if you're someone that beats yourself up and says, I'm crazy, I'm an idiot, people can't be trusted, the world is always going to be dangerous. Well, we work with that around cognitive issues and reframing and looking for evidence and things like that. But we also have to do work that's called bottom-up, which is working within the body because we know that trauma lives in the body and the body and brain together we um, can find ways um, to help that body respond in different ways to these triggering responses Um, both of them are useful the bottom uh bottom up and top down work and one of the things i say in the book is that although trauma impacts the brain healing does too. And I think that's the piece that a lot of survivors don't think about. And even some of our lay people and even some professionals um, think that, you know, they might hear like a horrific story of someone's uh, life and they think, wow, they're going to suffer with this forever. Uh, the person living with it may think I'm going to live with this forever. Um, but we've seen some miraculous and, and uh, amazing, tremendous healing um, just in our you know, in my own care, in the colleagues I work with, in in the research that I read from other people out in the field. So the healing process absolutely changes the brain too. Mm.
1: Is there a stigma surrounding trauma? Maybe not the trauma itself, but how someone lives through it or reacts to it? Because we do know there's stigma when it comes to mental health.
0: Yes. Um, I think that there is some there is a lot of stigma some of it is around uh blame so we have a lot of work we do with the individual survivor themselves around self blame and sometimes what makes that even tougher work is that they have someone on the outside that is putting the blame on them that is kind of solidifying and stamping that blame like well what were you thinking or why did you go there or you should have done this and um none of that is helpful so there is definitely stigma around who's at fault um, and what I'm always talking about with people is when we put the blame on ourselves, who are we taking it off of? The person there that it's rightfully, um, the, the person who rightfully owns that, right? Um, so I think the work is with the individual survivors, but also the work with the family, which is why the book actually came to be. Because after doing enough of that individual work, I realized like, wow, we, we need to get more information out to the people that these Patients go home to so that they can also take part in the changing, in the healing process. Um, So this can be successful, so they don't fall back in their own, their old ways of that self blame. That's just one. The stigma, you know, can go in a number of areas, but I think that's one of our biggest is the responsibility of that individual. And again, what does it say about me that I'm suffering from it, but someone else who experienced trauma isn't? But not everybody who experiences trauma goes on to develop symptoms.
1: I've got an email here from a listener uh, takes issue with uh, your definition of trauma and thinks it's too broad. It says, going back to the time of Freud, psychologists and psychiatrists have worked to help people deal with excruciating, uh, painful things in their past. But when we broaden the definition of trauma, that ceases to have meaning. Have we... Broaden it so much when we're talking about verbal abuse and uh, how children grow up maybe without physical abuse.
0: Colloquially, we we have broadened it, um, which on one hand could be a good thing because people are talking now. We're actually getting the conversation out there to hopefully start to dismantle some of that uh, stigma, right? Um, on the other hand, it can, as that as that um, person who sent in that email said, it it can um, kind of lessen or dilute, um, so to speak. But um, I also think that the power lies in that individual who's showing up for treatment, in how they're defining things for themselves. Right? Right? That they have voice and they have, um, you know, they have voice in how they see things. Mm. So that's how I, I, I would think we, we broaden it in some ways. And other ways, I think if we to, tone it down to be very narrow, we're also missing a lot of people that could get help that maybe don't have what's called PTSD, but have things that could still benefit from the treatment.
1: So, what do you want the takeaway to be from your book?
0: That healing is possible. Um, I think one of the biggest things for me is around compassion. Compassion for the individual, self compassion for that reader who is the trauma survivor, um, to understand um, that they are quite resilient. Um, If they are still sitting in front of me in a therapy session, they are resilient because they're here in my office, whatever they've done, even those behaviors that might seem maladaptive right now because they are born out of their, their symptoms out of that trauma, they still served a purpose. Our body and our brains are trying to work for our good even though it doesn't always come out that way. Even our kind of denial system is meant to have a purpose. And for us to just be a little more understanding of what that is, be a little more nurturing and more compassionate with self.
1: The book is Making Sense Out of What Hasn't Made Sense by Dr. Ramona Palmario roberts She's the executive director at the Karen Outpatient Treatment Center. Dr. Roberts, I want to thank you very much for being with us today.
0: Thank you.